morning, Big Valley Grace, and for those who are joining online, thank you for joining us today. Take your Bibles and turn to Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 1. We'll be looking at that in just a moment. And mothers, uh, Lord bless you all. May the Lord's face shine upon you. Wouldn't be here without you, right? <laughs> We're so glad that you're here today, and thank you for honoring the Lord and putting him first today in your celebrations. Boy, it's good to see uh, the people of the Lord coming together to sing and worship. Isn't that good today? Yeah, it's so good to see your faces too. <laughs> oh, oh, 73,000 people just, I think it was last night, watched two men beat themselves to death, right, in Texas. <laughs> the largest uh, attended sporting event over the last few years. And it's just good to see the people of God coming together, worshiping and singing him and putting him first and studying his word and looking forward uh, to today. Uh, today's even a special, a very special day for us. I wasn't sure that we would have this day with my mom. She was here last night with my uh, brother from Indiana. We had a great time together. And I know as my mom was here listening last night, she is just amazed that I'm here. <laughs> uh, not just physically, but that I, that I even made it through her discipline <laughs> and the lessons of life to be able to uh, come and share with you uh, today. And I uh, so deeply love my mother and my wife and the women that God has placed in my lives. And uh, he certainly has used them. One of the things that, uh, a lesson that has lived with me from the time that I was 16, uh, my mom would always be up waiting for me to come home from a date every single time. There was never a time I would come home and she was not up. And she wanted to hear about my evening. And I know during the time that uh, I was gone, she was praying. And she was praying for God's grace and his work in my life. And there was one evening that she called me aside and shared with me this verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And I encourage you to, ladies to write it down, for you young mothers to write it down and to remember this. And I'm glad that Hallmark wasn't on during those days because this vice is so contrary to what you'll hear on any Hallmark show. And here's is what it says in Proverbs 4, 23. It says, watch your heart with great diligence. Guard your heart. For out of it flows the very essence of life. You should share it with me. Lonnie, guard your heart. Don't trade uh, your future for a few moments of pleasure. Guard your heart. And I'm so glad she didn't say follow your heart, which is what you hear almost every time you turn on the TV is to follow your heart. You follow your heart, you'll get into trouble, right? You will. <laughs> you'll go to a place you do not want to go. You'll stay in a place for longer than you'll want to stay. And you're going to pay a high price, much higher than what you think. And so we need to guard our hearts. And the Bible tells us that we need to renew our mind, that we might know the truth of God. And as we renew our mind, he sets before us a path that we can see and that we can walk. And he tells us that every story in Scripture, every word of Scripture is profitable in our lives, right? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and he does so, so as we would hide his word in our heart, that we would not sin against him, that we would not go down a path that we would regret. We would not live a life of, of shame and regret. He desires to bless each of our lives. And I love the story of Ruth. It is the fa my most favorite story of the, of the Bible, just bar none. Genesis to Revelation, because it is so real. And I don't know how much you know about the book of Ruth or, or her story, but I want to challenge you this week to resurrect that story and read it in your family, particularly if you have children. Uh, that would I say would be maybe uh, six, seven, eight, ten years old and older. 
you need to go through the story with them. And the way the story is written is that each chapter ends with the anticipation of what happens next. So don't read the story just straight out, one through four. Read it with the suspense that's there. There's 85 verses. It takes about 25 minutes to read the whole book, so it's not a long book, but get into the suspense. Walk in the shoes of these individuals and watch what God is doing. We just sang a song called Waymaker, Promise Keeper. When you don't see it, you're working, right? When we don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. And that is the story of the book of Ruth. The Lord never stops working. There was a time in Naomi's life where she thought he had stopped working. There was a time of deep darkness in her life. And, and the book of Ruth is a story of contrast. It starts out very dark in chapter one, but it ends with great joy in chapter four. And it's a sequence of God unfolding his sovereign work in Naomi and Ruth's life that is just incredible. And the first chapter takes about 20 years. And the next chapter three, uh, chapters two, three, and four, maybe take about a year, a year and a half for God to unfold. But boy, it's just a reminder that God is always working. And, he, and as he was working then, he is working today. Everything is moving to the ultimate promise that he says, I'm coming again. Every one of us is a part of his kingdom plan that's bringing ultimately the revelation of the Messiah where he will reign forever and ever and ever and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And as we have cried, he will wipe away every tear and we'll talk about that. But this is a compelling story and our children need to understand that when things seem dark, when that first girlfriend says, I don't want to go out with you anymore, and that boy's heart is crushed, or vice versa. <laughs> Need to know that even at 16, life's not over yet. God is writing a story. He hasn't stopped working. You may feel like right now that, that the, the pain is unbearable. It may seem dark right now, but I promise you, God has a plan, and he's working it out bit by bit by bit. Set back and see. Habakkuk 1.5 says, Habakkuk said, look, God said to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, look and be amazed. I'm about to do something in your lifetime that you would not believe had you not seen it. And that's what he wants to do in each of our lives. So it's a great story. And we're going to look at chapter one of Ruth. The last few weeks we've been in a series called Women of the Bible. Joel started us out in the book of Judges. And we're actually going to be kind of in the book of Judges. This story takes place in the book of Judges. Uh, we talked about this, uh, uh, the woman called Deborah who God had used to give discernment and wisdom to in a time when there was no king. Uh, last week, Rick, Pastor Rick was talking about the story of Mary as a young girl who presented herself and says, Lord, I'm available. Whatever you would have, Lord, I'm willing to submit and follow you. And you're going to see here in Naomi and Ruth, they're going to enter into a same kind of relationship, particularly next week, which is going to be great as we look at two unique individuals. Pastor Joel is going to lead us into it. I won't give away the secrets. But each one of those had the same encounter. Will you trust the Lord? And he does that for each one of us. So we're going to look at Ruth chapter 1, and I'm just going to read through the, these first 22 verses. Uh, the text will be up on the screen, and I'm going to give you some narration, and then there's an outline that uh, is available on your mobile devices. In fact, the full outline you can download if you want to go back, and I encourage you to study some of the other verses that we'll be uh, referring to as we go through this, uh, this study. So Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. So that's referencing the book, for the previous book, the book of Judges. So there was a time in Israel where they had no king. They had left Egypt. God gave them 
for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness. Now they have crossed the Jordan River. They are, they've established themselves. They have fought many, many battles. But now, um, after they are in a land now of peace, you'll see in verse 25, in chapter 21, 25, it says, in those days there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges is a story of what happens when people live with, with no law and they do whatever seems good to them, whatever seems right to them. And what may seem right to them is not what was right with God. Amen. It is a story of deep brokenness, terrible stories in the book of Judges. As a young man, I was thrilled with all the blood and the gore of the book of Judges, but it would not have been a good time to have lived in the book of Judges. And this story takes place somewhere, maybe in the early chapters of the book of Judges. So this is where this is written. We have two individuals, or actually a family here that's living during this time. They're experiencing the challenges of life. In fact, it gets very challenging here in just a moment. So it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Folks, we have no clue what that is like. We're so blessed to have irrigation systems where we can dig deep wells into the ground and we can pull water up out of the ground and irrigate and what has once was a desert can be, has been a very prosperous place in the, in the whole world actually. Uh, it's just amazing what has grown in our Central Valley but that was not the case here in Israel. There were no deep water wells, there were no irrigation systems. If it did not rain, they had no crops. And we're gonna see a young family here where the rain has stopped. The grain is not growing. There is little to eat, and in instances even around the world today where, where it becomes so desperate and the drought is so severe, it's a terrible place. In fact, we'll read even in the, in, in the book of Kings that one woman has just a handful of flour and she and her son are gonna eat it and die. That, was, that is how desperate it was in these instances. So there was a famine just like that in the land in a certain man of Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. So the house of bread has no bread. It's part of the, the irony as you read through this chapter, some of the contrasts and comparisons that the, that, that the place that should have bread has no bread. It will later on, but not now, it doesn't. And, and there's a family, a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah, who, uh, in Judah who went to sojourn to travel temporarily. So he's saying to his family, we need to get out of town. We need to go to a place where there's bread. We won't go long. And he's assuring Naomi, honey, it just will be a short time. We just need to take care of our family. We need to help our boys survive. I promise you, we will be coming back. That's the idea of the word sojourn. We're gonna live in a land where we will be an alien. We will be a stranger. We won't know the language. Our people won't be there, but somehow we'll be able to make it. We're going to sojourn in the land of Moab. Moab is, if you, if you can picture uh, Israel, it is on the east of the Dead Sea. Uh, and it's a land that was inhabited by Lot's children. Abraham had a nephew named Lot, and he had an incestuous relationship. He had two boys through that relationship of uh, Moab and Amnon. And that is the uh, place where they settled uh, so he's with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, which means my God is my king. And his name of his wife, Naomi, which means pleasant. She's going to change her name at the end of this chapter. And the name of his two sons, Malon, which means sickly, and Chilion, which means weary. Another way of saying it is that these two boys were sick and tired. <laughs> right? They were Epaphrites of Bethlehem. That's the, uh, the clan that lives in Bethlehem in Judah. And now they entered the land of Moab. It's about four days uh, travel by foot. They entered the land. So imagine, again, these are real people. 
This father is taking his two young boys along with his wife. They are on a four-day camping trip, and they finally land and so and, and they stay in a place where there is now food that's available to them. But then shortly, and it says, and then they remain there. We don't know how long they were there. In verse three, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, tragically dies. We don't know if he died suddenly or this was an accident or what happened, but uh, she experiences the grief of losing her husband early. Two young boys, now fatherless, she without a husband. But she has her boys. And she was left with her two sons. The boys grow older, and they took for themselves Moabite women, which is not the first choice that a Jewish mother would have for her sons. It's not against Old Testament law, but if you marry someone who's a Moabite, your children are prohibited from being in the worship of the tabernacle for up to 10 generations, as you'll see in Deuteronomy. So it's not the, the best thing, but it was the best thing for them at the time. So they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, which means full mane or long neck. It's not a derogatory term. She was a beautiful woman. And the name of the other was Ruth, which means pleasant. Or, I'm sorry, uh, friendly, companion. And these folks are going to fulfill their needs. And, then in the, and they lived there about 10 years. So for 10 years, they were married. These two boys were married to these two uh, young ladies. But they had no children. They were childless. In verse 5, then both Malan and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So imagine the grief of a mother. And some of you understand that there's a sense of this isn't what it was meant to be when a parent buries their child and the pain of that is is incredibly deep and it never goes away as I've talked with family members who've had to bury their son or their daughter regardless of their age there is a hole in a heart that never gets filled you'll carry that pain with you the rest of your life and it's just a sorrow a deep sorrow that you would have and now here's this mother who not only lost her husband way too early, but now she loses both of her boys in a prime of life. And her daughters-in-law are grieving too. Verse six, and so Naomi, she arose with her daughters-in-laws that, they, that she might return from the land of Moab. She wants to go back home. That's how probably what most of us would feel. She says, let's go home. There's nothing here in Moab for me. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them food. And so in verse 7, so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Somewhere as they begin, Naomi stops and she says to her two daughters in verse 8, two daughters-in-law, sweeties, go, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. What she's saying is, gals, you have been so kind to me. You you have been my daughters when my boys have died. You were there when my husband died. You have comforted me. You have helped me. You have assisted me. You have been such a blessing to me. Verse 9, may the Lord grant you that you may find rest. And that word rest means find covering underneath the husband. Uh, uh, the shelter of another man, each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they all together lifted up their voices and they wept. In verse 10, and Orpah and 
Ruth say to her, Naomi, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi insists, and she says, no, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Now, this is going to seem a little strange to you, but this was a, there was a cultural practice that you, we want to maintain the family line. And so if, if the two boys die, then the, the, the next brother would, would have an obligation to take you under the wing so the family line could continue. And so Naomi says, uh, you need to return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Naomi's very concerned for these two young ladies. They're still of marrying age. They still have the possibility of having children, and she is much more concerned now for their care than for her, her, for her comfort. And she's encouraging them to go back and to find men and establish their own homes while they still can. And so she says down at the bottom of verse 13, No, my daughters, for it's harder for me than for you, for the hand, look at this, for the hand of the Lord is against me. We're going to see in this chapter three times her perspective of her relationship with the Lord. And right here she says, For the hand of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the word Lord is Jehovah or Yahweh, has gone forth against me. In verse 14, And they lifted up their voices and they wept again, and Orpah, she looked at the options, and she took Naomi's advice. She kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. In verse 15, and then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law, Ruth, has gone back to her people. And look at this, to her gods, Elohim, plural for gods. She's going back to her home, to her little g-gods, to the little idols, to the little worship. She's going to cling to them. Ruth, you need to go back and be with your own people. The Moabite gods were not at all anything that you would ever want to have a part of. Terrible immorality, child sacrifices. It was an evil, evil form of worship. And Orpah goes back and she says, I can do this. So go back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But look at Ruth. And, verses, and folks, listen to this. It would be an awesome wedding if these words would be incorporated into vows. Uh, young ladies and young men, look at this. Guys, this is the kind of woman you want. Ladies, look at this commitment. You will not see this on any movie or on any TV set. Look what Ruth says. But Ruth says, Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. And here it is. For Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me, until death do us part. Wow. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Incredible what she just said. And so 19, they both went until they came to Bethlehem. Can you imagine what that trip was like, that hike was like for four days? After hearing this young woman make this covenantal promise to be with her until death separates her, that her people, that uh, Naomi's people would be her people, her God, 
Naomi's God would be her God. And I'm just amazed because right now, Naomi's not projecting a, a great God. Uh, we're gonna see here in just a little bit that, that, he, that this God has made her life bitter. It's made her hard. She's gonna say here in just a moment, he, I was once full, now he has made my life empty. And Ruth says, I don't care. I know he's the right one. I've watched how he has worked in you and your family's life and I wanna be with you and I wanna be with your God. I'm gonna follow you until death separates us. And look what happens in 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem and when they had come to Bethlehem, the house of bread, all the city was stirred. Now, Bethlehem probably wasn't a big community, maybe a thousand or so. So when they walk into town, everybody knows about it. And everybody begins saying, look what they say. All the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? This is the, the gal that was so pretty? This is the gal that used to be the head cheerleader? This is the gal that had everything going for her? Life had been hard on Naomi. And not only had she grown older, but life had made her grow older. Her face and her demeanor showed the, the wear of grief and early aging. In verse 20, Naomi says to them, to her old friends, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the almighty El Shaddai is the word. El Shaddai has dealt very bitterly with me. Look at verse 21. I went out full like every young bride. Had a wonderful husband, two great children. Life was good. Life was sweet. Lots of opportunity. Lots of... Lots of potential. My life was full, but the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, has brought me back empty. So why do you call me Naomi? Since the Yahweh, the God of Israel, has witnessed against me, and the El Shaddai has afflicted me. And so Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, which is what's going on right now in our valley. Uh, this is in time of late April, early May, sometime in May is when she returns and the barley is being harvested, which is the first grain to come, come off. Let me pray and let's, uh, let's just unfold this word here, Lord, today. Lord, I just thank you for the privilege and opportunity to open your word. And Lord, it is a privilege. It is an opportunity for each of us, Lord, to encounter your word, to see that you are the the Almighty, the El Shaddai, that you are Yahweh, the God of Israel, the shepherd of our lives, who leads us, Lord, through up mountains and through dark valleys. You never leave us, you never desert us. Lord, I pray that your word would take deep root in our life, that we might grow in our appreciation and our love for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. So let's just walk through the outline. Let me just break this down uh, for you just a little bit so you have greater understanding. And again, I encourage you to go uh, to the Big Valley Grace app, download the, uh, the PDF file, and study some of these verses. And folks, teach these things to your children. Not only do we each individually need it, but boy, our kids need to know this. This has been a difficult season for many of our young adults. It has not been good to be a senior the last year and a half. It's not been good to be able to, you know, all the anticipation that a young person has had to be able to walk the lines, the graduation lines, and the, all the parties, the celebrations that had just been nixed by our government for the last year and a half. That makes a difference in a child's life. It makes a difference where a child grows up with fear and they always have to have a mask on. It makes a big difference, and we need to 
Help our children understand God's sovereign good work and that he is in control and he is working even when it does not see it. Right now in this chapter, Naomi is saying God has stopped working. But you're going to see as you read this chapter, I'm not gonna give away the story, but chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, God begins showing himself and he had been working all along. Just Naomi just couldn't see it. And so anyway, three things here. The background, the time, so this was the time of Judges. Already talked about this. You can look at Judges 21, 25, understanding that as you read the book of Judges, everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. There is no central or local government. Various ones would be raised up to bring judgment and wisdom and decisions. And what you will see is the ebb and flow of obedience. As the Israelites were obedient, they prospered. As they became disobedient, God's hand, heavy hand, was upon them through pestilence and disease, through warring tribes. They were oppressed people. And when their hearts would break and they would cry out to the Lord, God would wonderfully answer. That is the temper of the book of Judges. They were living during these times. It was also was a time of desperation. Look at verse one. There was famine in the land. That is a desperate place to be. And folks, those folks had prayed and prayed. This is why I like this passage so much. Because this, while it isn't said here, I know the heart of these people that this, you are seeing in chapter one years of unanswered prayer. That doesn't mean that God wasn't listening. It doesn't mean that God wasn't caring. There is a story that he's building here. That's what I want you to catch. There will be periods of time where it will seem that God is absent. He is not. It may feel like it, and, our, and the enemy of our soul will play upon that fear and will play upon those doubts, but the truth of it is he never leaves us. He never deserts us. He has plans for us, not for calamity, but for a future and a hope. It's just at this moment right now, we can't see what tomorrow is gonna bring. And what I love about this chapter is that Ruth and Naomi have no clue what's about to unfold in chapter two, chapter three, or chapter four. That is the furthest thing from their mind. When we get to chapter two, all they're wanting is to get some food. And they have no idea what God is about to unfold. Folks, you and I have no idea what tomorrow is gonna bring. You have no idea what he wants to do through your disease. You have, have no idea what God wants to do through your grief. He has a plan for every aspect of it and he is working even when he doesn't seem. That is what makes this chapter so powerful. It's a time of great desperation. It's a time of separation. Elimelech is just trying to take care of his family. He knows that if they can just go just... Uh, uh, a few miles down the road, it's about a little over 100 miles to Moab. If we can just take my family there, if we can just go the distance and I can take them there for the next four days and we can just go there, I know that my family will survive. He did not think he would, have to, he would stay as long as he did. This drought and this famine was a long-term thing and he stayed there and stayed there and of course then he lost his life and he wasn't able to bring his family back. So just understand what it's like to leave your family, to leave your culture, to leave your familiarity, to go to a place where you don't understand the languages or the culture and you're all by yourself and you don't have your, your family support systems, that's what it was like for, for Naomi. And she was following her husband, trying to be his support and his helper, trusting the Lord that God would take care of him and he would bring them back. That would have been her hope. So Naomi's story. Boy, look at verse two here. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. Epaphrites of Bethlehem and Judah. Folks, she was just like you and me. She had all the hopes and dreams of every young lady. Her life was full, her life was good. But folks, she was just like you and me. 
She had all the same weaknesses, the same fears. She was not super spiritual. And, and I don't want us to miss this as we go through this, is as you look at the characters, when, when Joel talked to us about Deborah, she was just like us, folks. And when, when you look at uh, some, uh, King David, he was just like us. Uh, when you look at Jesse, he was just like us. When you look at Boaz, he was just like us. These are, aren't super Super duper spiritual people. They're just like you and me. Understand, we, we wear the same shoes as what these folks are. We grieve the same way that they grieve. We suffer loss like she suffered loss. That's the second point. While she was just like you and me, she had suffered great loss. Some of you who have been down that road where things were, were fresh and new. I, I know of individuals who within a year after they were married, some tragedy happens in their life and they either lose their husband or becomes paralyzed. I mean, this is real life stuff. And, and she enjoyed her husband for a few years. They have two boys. And then when the boys are maybe close to teenagers, Elimelech is gone. It's not what anyone would want. And some of you understand that. You understand that great loss. She was also without hope. Look at verses 11 through 13. Naomi says, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? I can't have children anymore to comfort me or to help me. Children were the social security network in these days. If you did not have family, you did not make it. And she's without a husband and she's without sons who are gonna provide. Look at verse 12. Return my daughters for I'm too old to have a husband. She is without hope. I don't have, a, no one's gonna want to marry me. Look at me, ladies. No one's gonna wanna marry me. I can't bear you any more children. I'm gonna go home, make the best that I can, and then I'm gonna die. My family is gone. Uh, she th doesn't think she has any near relatives that are gonna care for her as you look at chapter two. She has no hope. And she felt that God was against her. You, you see this down here at the bottom. Look at verse 13, for the hand of the Lord is against me. Three things that she sees, God's against me. Look at verse 20, he's dealt bitterly with me. Look at verse 21, I was once full, but now he's brought me back empty. God has done this. I know we shouldn't have, and in some ways she's almost saying, I, I, I knew we shouldn't have left. I knew we were making the wrong decision to leave. I know that God was wanting us to stay, but I was following my husband, I was being obedient to him, and look what now has happened, and God is not answering my prayer. Folks, you know she prayed. She prayed for her husband while he was ill and dying. She prayed for her boys while they were ill or dying. She was asking God to do something new, and nothing was happening. The Ruth story was not much different than that. She was a Moabitist. In a, in a Jewish culture, that was, that was like a half-breed kind of situation. Uh, they were not well regarded. In fact, if you came from a Moabite uh, lineage, you were prohibited from being in the temple for at least 10 generations. And so you, you were never able to have full status. And look what God is doing. He is reaching into the tribe of Moab, rescuing her, and you're gonna see Ruth show up in Matthew chapter one in the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And when you get to chapter four, you are gonna be amazed at what God is gonna do through her, through her son, and her son's son, and through his son, and through that son. Because the great, great grandmother of King David was Ruth. And the great, 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 great grandmother 
was Rahab a prostitute? Isn't that amazing? How God reached out to this little young woman and says, I have a plan for you. Walk with me. Trust me. Now, she never knew David. She never knew that her great-great-grandson killed Goliath. She never knew what God, she never knew that part of the story that we knew. And you and I, in a similar way, will never know the full extent of what, what our obedience will do and what it will bring through our children, our grandchildren, and, and on it will go as we remain faithful to him because it's his story that he's writing. So she was a Moabitess. She also was grief-sticking and childless. Look at, you know, four and five. They both lose their husbands, and she has no children. They've been married for 10 years and something wasn't right because women had babies in those times. And no matter how hard they tried, they weren't able to have children. And there was an emptiness in her own heart on that day. And a number of you know what that's like. But look at verse 16 and 18. She was loyal. God said something in Naomi that was better than being in her own father's house with the gods of the Moabites. And she said, Naomi, I want what you have. And I'm going to go where you go. Your people are going to be my people. Where you establish your home, that's where I'll establish my home. And where you die, that's where I'm going to die. So I think there's some great lessons here. I'm just going to point out three of them. There's one I've already talked about this, but folks, don't miss this, that the personalities of Scripture as you read your Bible are just like us. The great chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, 16 different names are mentioned, and many, many other names are implied all of those folks are just like you and me. They are not the super spiritual people. Abraham had a problem with lying. You can just go right through the list. Every one of them had difficulties. But every single one of them, they looked ahead and they said, I want what the Lord has for me. What God has in store for me, though I don't see it today, is better than the treasures of Egypt. That's what Moses said. They looked forward to what God had in store. Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I look forward to the high calling of Christ where I step up and he says, Paul, you, what you did, man, thank you. I want to hear him say thank you. I want to hear him say well done. That's what I, that's why I'm, I keep pressing on to the high calling that, that the Lord has for me. So don't mess it as you read the stories. Don't think that they're particularly unique. They're just like you and me who just said yes in obedience to the Lord. Secondly, I want you to see here that God is writing our stories. And this is where our young people really need to understand it. Take them through Psalm 139. Take them through Isaiah chapter 40. Help them to understand and see. Take them through the passage in Jeremiah. That, honey, God has plans for you. It's not for calamity. I know right now your heart is breaking. I know right now it's hard. I know right now it's difficult. But let me assure you that God's not done with you yet. He knows when you get up. He knows where you go. He, he, honey, even if you were to go to the, get on Elon Musk's rocket ship and you blast off and you go live on Mars, the Lord's gonna be there. If you go down to the deepest part of the sea, the Lord will be there. You will never be able to escape his presence because God has a plan for you, honey. And it isn't all about you. It's what he wants to do through you. Don't ever underestimate, honey, what the Lord wants to do through you. And that chain of relationship that begins to spring out through your children, your grandchildren, to your friends and their friends and their children, on and on it goes. Don't miss it that God is writing a story. And he's going to use your cancer. He's going to use your Parkinson's disease. He's going to use your dementia. Until you take your last 
breath. God has a plan for you. He's not done with you. And in your suffering, your children are watching the glory of God work as you cling to him. And in some instances, you'll be just like Jacob in the Old Testament where he was in a wrestling match and in great pain, he was hanging on. The angel of the Lord says, let me go. and says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Folks, that's what God is calling us to do. I have friends who the latter years of their life are not real good. I have a dear friend who feeds his wife through a tube. She has Parkinson's, she can't swallow. And, he, and their love relationship is fulfilling those vows that says, honey, I will love you until death separates you through, through the good and the bad. I'm gonna care with you until God takes you home. And their two daughters are watching. They are watching and their grandchildren are watching. Don't ever underestimate the story that God is writing in your life. Our hope, folks, and this is not about the power of positive thinking. Please, please, this is about the power that is in our Lord who loves us and walks with us and carries, carries us. He is the one who's writing the plan. My call is to trust in him, to wait upon him, to cling to him. Lastly, God does reward those who seek him. I love the passage in Hebrews eleven six. I refer to it often. I remind myself that those who come to him must believe that he is God, that he is the God of Ruth and Naomi, and as he was, so is he today and will be tomorrow. And not only is that is who he is, but he sees me, he knows me, and he, his rewards are so much greater than anything I can gather here. I wanna set my heart to the things that are in heaven where moth and rust do not consume and thieves do not break and steal. I, I want my, tr my heart to be where my treasures are and that's up in heaven because this stuff here all goes away in time, right? All this stuff here is just nothing but disappointment. We will, none of us will ever be disappointed when we see what God has in store for us. Not a single one of us will be. And that's where I wanna set my heart. That's where I hope you will set your heart. That's the story. That's what the story is here. So what should we do here today? First is, <clears throat> I, I wanna challenge you. Read, read Ruth this week. Read the first four chapters. Read it with your family and read it in sequence and read it with a suspense and marvel at how God is working because chapter one is dark and help your children to see how real it is. This is what real life is like. As pastors, we often counsel people and we often will hear, why is God doing this to me? It comes right out of the book of Ruth. The second though, and teach this to your children, is that God remembers our tears. He writes them down. He records them. Years ago, when I went to Israel for the first time, and you, if you go, you'll have this opportunity where, where we walk down the marketplace and you can find things of antiquity that are there. And Pastor Rick has shared how he has a shekel and he gives some of those things out. Well, one of the things that I heard, and I don't think the story is true, but it grabs your heart, is that he showed me a bottle, one of the, one of the shopkeepers, and he says that this is a Roman tear bottle. What does that mean? And he talked about how the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, would wear this bottle around their neck and they would capture the tears of their family and carry it with them until they returned. That's a touching story. It's probably not true. <laughs> but the next time, uh, all that next year, I knew I was going to go again. I said, I'm going to get me a tear bottle. And I bought one. 2,000-year-old tear bottle. <clears throat> now, this is not what they carried around their neck. <laughs> but this is the kind of bottle the woman used when she broke it. 
and, and she filled it up with oil that cost her a, a year's wage. So think about how much you make and spending all of your income a year putting into a little bottle like this and bringing it to Jesus' feet, breaking it and pouring it over his feet and anointing his head just before he died. That's what this bottle would have been used for. It's for perfume. But I grabbed this bottle when I liked how it looked. But I also remember the story in Psalms where he says he does record my tear. He captures my tear. He, he doesn't, forget, doesn't, doesn't forget my brokenness. Doesn't, he's noticed every tear that I have ever shed, that our family has ever shed. And there's going to come a time in Revelation where we will cry no more. And in chapter 21, he says... He'll take that last tear. And he said, that's it. We're done. No more tears. And every tear that is shed, he's going to make right. Isn't that good news? To know that the Lord sees me in all the stages of life, is near me in every instance of my life, in the good and the bad. He is my shepherd. The God of Israel is my shepherd. And he who is the God of Israel... Who is my shepherd? What else do I need? He walks with me. He leads me. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, he is always near me. And his plan is not at all thwarted and is going to bring it to completion. And so my last question is, what mountains are you facing today? What challenges are you facing today? What obstacles like Naomi and Ruth are you facing today where it just seems that God is not working? That's why we have a time of prayer afterwards is where we can cast all of our cares upon him and have people support us and encourage us in prayer. And we want to give you that invitation today. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And when we're done, if you would like to have prayer today, there's going to be a group of people right over there in the altar room. My wife and I will be here in the front. But we want you to stand firm in Christ. We want you to stand strong in him. I don't know how anyone goes through life without having not only a savior, but a shepherd and a Lord. And Jesus extends that invitation today. I want to end with this quote from John Piper. You might want to write it down if you can. He says, when you think God is farthest from you or has even turned against you, the truth is that he is laying a foundation stones of greater happiness in your life. Isn't that cool? That when you think God is farthest from you or has even turned against you, the truth is that he is laying foundation stones of greater happiness in your life. There's a time of great joy where we will look back and we'll see these things as momentary light afflictions and they're going to produce something incredible, wonderful in our life. And he just asks us to keep pressing, to keep trusting, to keep waiting and hanging on to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again. Oh, Lord, for the incredible power of your word and these, these real stories of people just like us, just a number of generations ago who cried like many have cried who have agonized and many have agonized and knowing that they have found you to be the, the real shepherd who is near, the God who never leaves us, never deserts us, that hears us when we cry out and it never stops working in ways, even though we can't see it, it's always working in ways to fill purposes greater than we can ever imagine. So Lord, I thank you for every mother that's here. I thank you, Lord, for every tear that has been shed, knowing, Lord, that, that you are doing something greater than we can ever imagine. And our trust and our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in you. And so, Lord, I pray you'd bless each family that's here today. 
Will your face shine upon them? Would you be gracious to them? Would you help them to hold on to you and await, Lord, as you take them through whatever it is that they're facing for your glory? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.